The word that's translated church never refers to a piece of property or a building. It refers to people. So you don't want to just go to church. He's called us to be the church. That's the biblical model, and that's what I want to go by. And so last week we started talking about what it means to be a part of the body. Because that's what Paul talks about, uh, that uh, we believe you're not here by accident. There are no accidents with God. Even, even we've had, um, some of you may even be here today that the first time you popped in here, you were trying to go somewhere else and, and missed your turn and come by and, well, it's already church time and so, uh, you know, I'll just go here. It, that's not really an accident because God already knew about that, okay? Um, but you're not here by accident. God has a plan for you. He's already paid for your salvation if you haven't already received that gift that he paid for by faith. But that plan also part, uh, it, it involves you being a part of his family, a part of his body. Because he loves you unconditionally, but he has something for you. So everyone who's saved, everyone who comes to Christ is part of his universal church, you might say, or body. Word church literally means the called out. You belong to Him, all right? So everyone that's saved from all of time, one of these days He's going to come and gather His people, and it's going to be all of those who belong to Him from all time. So when you're saved, you're a part of that. But in the New Testament, everyone who became a follower of Christ, a disciple, and became part of that universal church also connected themselves to a local community of believers. And... Uh, Paul referred to this, one of his favorite ways to refer to this is as a body of believers. And he uses this physical imagery like your physical body. Like Christ is the head and we're all members of that body. And he said just like, just like your body has many members, you know, fingers and toes and legs and arms and nose and eyes and ears and all of these things. But it's one body. They don't all have the same function, but it's one body. That's what he talks about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That, remember, that you, you're called to be and designed to be, whether you like this or not. I mean, you know, hey, none of us are perfect. Are we? I know I'm sure not. God wants to take imperfect people. This is amazing. This is how awesome God is. And through imperfect people, who are going to frustrate each other and disappoint each other and fail each other and fail him, he still wants to use us to be the ones through which he does his perfect work. And I find out that I'm not complete without the rest of the body. I'm not. No matter how much I think I can just do things by myself. I mean, this is Bible. This isn't my theories or anybody. This is just what this teaches. This is what we have to believe. I'm not complete without the body, and the body's not complete without me. Now, let's read Paul's words here, because he says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, he says, For just as the body, like a physical body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though, uh, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So this is he's making an illustration here. It's the same way with Jesus, Okay. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Uh, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all those barriers are gone now. It says, and all of us were made to drink of one spirit. It's not different Holy Spirits. It's not different saviors, just one. 
There's not different ways to heaven, only one. Remember, Jesus isn't the best way. I mean, he isn't the only or the best way. Let me say it right. Jesus isn't the best way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. All right? He's not one among many. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So one spirit, one Savior. This is similar to what we read last week, remember, in Ephesians 4. Uh, so he says in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, oh, this is kind of funny, by the way. If the whole body, what would be like a big eyeball rolling down the street there? I don't know, I get this crazy mental image. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body, this is, this is kind of neat, really pay attention here. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And I found that out last week whenever I scratched my eyeball, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, got to be careful here. Watch what you're doing. And it says, and on those, this is even, even more amazing. He says, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honorable uh, honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. You think about that? It's showing how the body takes care of itself. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That Why? Why do you do this? That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, here it comes, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Then he goes into the structure that God has placed. And we read about that last week, about the structure. So here's, here's what we, we have already said. I'm just a little bit of a review uh, since this is like part two, right? Okay. Um, God has not just called you to believe. He has called you to believe. That's the first step is coming to Christ and believing in him and having faith and receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's not just called you to believe, but it also includes a call to belong. You belong to him. And if you belong to him, and if I belong to him, guess what? Remember, we belong to each other. And we need this. We need, remember we're talking about the, the two weeks ago, the five purposes from the great commandment and the great commission. We need that coming together and worship experience together. We need the fellowship uh, and that regular habit of building one another up and worshiping together, the opportunity to serve and to minister to one another and to others outside. We need that ability to encourage each other and help each other as we take the gospel to those who don't have it, that we use our various gifts together. 
Years ago, like 150 years ago, Charles Spurgeon was the pastor of the great London, uh, the, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, uh, and, and one of the greatest preachers who's ever lived. And here's what he said. This is over 150 years ago. Spurgeon said, I believe a very large majority of churchgoers, remember what he said, churchgoers, are merely unthinking, slumbering worshipers of an unknown God. In other words, he said they're just going through the motions. There's a lot of truth to that, and it's not changed. So we need this. We need this structure. We need this accountability. We need the ministry gifts that God has laid out, even in this local body, if we're going to grow as disciples and if we're going to impact the world around us for Christ, if we're going to fulfill those purposes that we've talked about over the last several years. And he also, Paul, lays out structure as he had laid this out about that God had put in place those who were to be overseers and shepherds and elders and servers and the different gifts and all of these things are detailed in Scripture. And this is what we have to go by. Because a lot of things out there are great parts of the church, but they're not the church themselves. And this is why it's so much better for all of us, even though there's problems, just like there is in any relationship. You've got to work through problems and hassles, and, um, but, but it's, it's so much better. You find that place where you connect and become a functioning part of a body than just being off by yourself, being isolated, or just kind of, you know, one place after the other, but you're not really connected to any place. And you have to ask, am I part of a body? Am I a, part, am I a functioning part of a body? Or am I just attending these things? And that's, that's a thing that God wants to convict us about here. Um, so last week, we looked at the first two basics of belonging. We're talking about, and so I'm not going to rehash these because, you know, I'll probably talk long enough anyway, right? So, so you could probably go back and listen to that. But we're using seven, seven Basics of Belonging by Sam Rayner, and this is part of what I'm using now in, our, in our, our connection class. You also call it membership class that we go through. It's great teaching. I like the way he's laid it out. It's, it, it ties in a lot of things uh, that we've already talked about, but we talked about the first two last week, that if you're going to uh, be connected, you're going to be part of a body. You belong to Christ. I belong to Christ, and everybody, we need to be part of that body. The first two things that we looked at last week was number one, worship. That's one of the basics of belonging, saying yes to God. We talked about what that means and what it doesn't mean. We talked about the problems of imposing our preferences on others. And then the second one was grow, that is becoming a disciple who helps other people become disciples, that we are a follower, a student, an imitator of Jesus Christ, and we're just automatically, as we're doing that, going to try to help others do that as well. Disciples who make disciples. Now, we also pointed out how that the difference between just attending, just attending church and by joining, connecting, because, you know, the whole thing of like joining a church has been skewed through the years. It's not like joining anything else. It's not like joining a club, getting your name on a roll, on a member. It's not that. It's not that. It is you connecting, and, and there's two things, connection and commitment. I am connected and I'm committed. And I want to tell you, when people, things don't go the, quite the way I want it, and things have, I want to just say this. Things have never gone really the way I want it to go around here for nearly 34 years. Never. I don't think there's ever been a time I felt like, man, things are just going perfect. Never. There's always struggle. There's always frustrations. There's always problems. And sometimes there's disaster. 
All right? But that's what we do together. And, and the fact that many times as we talked about there's friction and we, we angle that by the Spirit's help in the right direction and instead of dulling us, it sharpens us. And some of the ones that have the worst friction sometimes become the sharpest. Right? In the work of the Lord. And um, we overcome and we grow. And um, as I read through the New Testament, I mean, Paul's writing these letters to the Corinthian, the Corinthian church and, and some of the other churches that Paul himself helped found and train leadership there. In no time, they were, they were they're going, they're going off the rails, man. It's messy. Life is messy. Ministry is messy. We're messy people. But you know what? God already knows that about us. And it really helped me to feel better to know it's, it, until he comes back and we're made perfect, it's always going to be a bit messy. So here's what God is wanting to do is just help us manage the mess. And there's sometimes like, Lord, you can't use us. We're too big a mess. And he's like, let's just manage the mess because I use messes every day. Be surprised. Wow, that's good. Uh, and the other thing is, is that we need to realize the church is not a destination point for crowds. That's not what a church is. Church isn't a place you go. The church is a vehicle designed by God himself to reach neighborhoods and nations. That's what he came to do. And that's what we're to be about right here. And so the first two, worship, grow, discipleship. And then the third one, let's just pick right back up there. Ready? Ready for number three? Let's go fast. Number three, uh, we're going to gather this from Mark chapter 10, and it ties in with this whole thing of being a body because it's another one of the basics of belonging. Number three comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 45. Read it with me. He says, but Jesus said, but it shall not be so among you. What were they doing? They were arguing about like who's the greatest and like the people of this world, they lord it over each other. Not so with you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, this is so different than culture, right? Must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's your third basic, serve. And that's reaching out beyond yourself. It's not all about you. It is some about you, but it's not all about you. And that's the way a lot of times we are about, about local church and stuff. It's like, and, and not that these issues are not important because they are to a point, but it's not all about how, how it makes you feel and how you like this and how this and this, everything suits me and I'm, what I'm getting and all of this. And it is so much about what I get out of it. And what, but if you're getting anything out of it, it's because so you can give more. We get to give. We're blessed to be a blessing, right? So instead of just like, what did you get? What did you give? It's about giving and serving. Oh, I'm getting to the next point. But anyway, about serving, what, how we're to serve. And one of the ways we grow in the spiritual sense is to serve in the physical sense. And, and, and this outward call that he's called us to, to go, and as we're going into all different areas of the world, all different neighborhoods, all different social classes, all different everything, as we go, one of the ways that we fulfill that outward call is through serving. We're serving and ministering to one another, 
but we're also serving those who are part of the lost world that are in darkness that don't know the Lord. This is one of the first ways they're going to find contact with the Lord. By the way, you do have notes online. I hope you found those already in our, our Facebook page or on your YouVersion app. Uh, so you want to make some more notes on this and add them to last week's notes. So serving is the third way. Every local church, listen, in a local church right here in this community, this local church is not an island in the middle of the community so we can just isolate ourselves from the world. I know we're to be separate from the world, but we're sent into the world, right? We're, as we say, in the world, but not of the world. That's the mission field. I'm going to tell you, those people out there, and we talked about this all weekend long at the conference, the people out there who seem to, uh, and, and, and they're, they're offensive, right? And they're offended by everything. And they're living ridiculous, nasty lifestyles, and, and, and they're flaunting stuff out there that to, to us are, is repulsive, Right? And they're supporting ideas that are destructive and wrong. And it, and it bothers us. And we got to stand up for God's truth. But we speak the truth in love, what Paul said in Ephesians 4. And the thing about it is no matter how much we get upset at that world out there and the way they're doing, you do realize that they're also still like the mission field. I can understand why some people in our culture think about Christians as being hateful and angry. I mean... I sure can be, right? But, I mean, we need to stand up for the truth, but how are we ever going to reach those unless we serve them? So we're here today to help equip people to leave this place. This is the huddle. We equip each other. And it's one of the jobs as a shepherd, a pastor, one of the things Paul laid out, and that is one of the responsibilities, part of the structure, is to equip us to leave this place and to go out and to serve in the name of Jesus Christ and make an impact in our community for Christ. Not for us. We're not making a name for us. Making a name, making much of the name of Christ. That's what we want to do. So we've got to be willing to lay it all out there. So other people can hear the good news. That's what it's about. It's about others, about others. We live in a me-centered culture. It's all about me, me, me. Uh, but this is about others. You want to be the greatest? Be the servant. Other people, key word here, other people will be saved. Other people will come to know Christ through the ministry of Christ, through you, through this local body and the other local churches in our community that people out there who are on their way to hell people out there that you know and that you care about one of the main ways that they're going to come to know Jesus and be saved is through seeing the love of God in our lives as we serve them and maybe they don't deserve it maybe they're speaking against us maybe maybe um you know, that's one of the most powerful ways that the Lord shows his love. We're not like the world. We bless those who curse us. We love those who hate us. Is the world seeing that? And how do they, it's not that we say it, we show it. How? By serving. That's why we're, we go. So we don't just, and we don't just serve because of what we get out of it. And you do get something back. You can't outgive God, right? But the thing about it is, is the reason you serve, and some people say, well, you know, I like serving and doing this because it just makes me feel so good. 
And it does. But that's not why you do it. If you didn't feel so good, would you still be obedient? So I'm not, listen, I'm not doing this, and I'm not going to do whatever I do just because of the way it makes me feel. Because I get some kind of a psychological buzz off of it. And helping those poor folks, you know, oh man, aren't I something? That's not it. That's the opposite of it. It's not anything about, in fact, the best serving is when you get absolutely nothing out of it. And you don't even get a thank you out of it. That's the best serving because you're doing it for one reason, because of Jesus. And I think that's why so often he's going to call upon us to humble ourselves and to give till it hurts and to serve those who are never going to be able to help anything. Because then you're looking a lot like Jesus. And it's grace on display, is it not? Our service today, what we're doing to serve is part of the foundation for the next hundred years of work that needs to go on in this community, in this area, and in the state. I want to be very serious about this. We're here today, and, and, and I'm going to finish this up on Labor Day weekend. I know a lot of times people have plans, but I'm going to finish this up next week, but, um, and I'll cover this area more. But I want to tell you one of the reasons why we are able to have effective opportunity here is because of those who are already in heaven that went before us and served God in this town and, and in this church and were faithful, and the times were different then, and some of their methods were different, but it's the same gospel, the same truth, the same mission, the same purpose, and because of their faithfulness, we have this opportunity today. And I'm telling you this, I'm going to come back to this next week, Lord willing, but we're laying the foundation today for the next hundred years. So we want to live our lives like Jesus could come back at any minute, right? But we want to work like it might not be for two or three hundred years. So we want to keep working like it might not be for hundreds of years. We want to keep living our lives to where he could come at any moment and we're ready. But we want to keep serving. And enduring church serves like Jesus. Besides serving one another and impacting the lost world around us, in a hundred years from now, assuming Christ has not returned, part of the goal that I have is that there will still be people maybe meeting in this very place that probably look different and using what we've left behind to keep carrying on the mission that he's called us to until he comes and gets all of us. That's it. We've got more churches dying than are being planted these days. That's something that I, I feel like. That's part of the thing about handing the faith off to the next generation, about continuing. In the Gospels, if you notice, there's a transition that takes place in the, at, at the end of the Gospels and into the book of Acts. Jesus is physically present on earth, physically there working miracles, and physically there teaching people and helping people and doing things. At the beginning of Acts, he's died on the cross, he's been resurrected, and he tells his followers that the mission of sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth will continue, but I'm going back to the Father. It's going to continue through you. Now, I'm going to still be with you, my presence, because Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I'm sending the Comforter, the one that's going to come alongside you, the Holy Spirit. You're going to be not left alone. I, he said, will come to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. God is with us. So there is that. But then Jesus ascends back into heaven, and he leaves them to do the work by his presence and power, the Holy Spirit. 
So where Christ's work physically on earth ended, ours began. We're the ones that are his hands and feet. We're the ones to carry on the work of Jesus until he comes and the end happens. That's what we're to do. That's our mission. And uh, so there are a lot of ways. You'll notice in our little worship folder handout, there are like areas to serve, ways to serve. And you look at those and they're in there. I'm just going to say this up here. So uh, how, how can I serve? How can I fulfill part of that purpose of belong, belonging? Uh, one of the basics of belonging is I worship and as I grow as a disciple and then as I serve. That third one. How do I do that? Well, there are a lot of ways. First of all, as you see things that need to be done, volunteer. Don't wait to be voluntold. Volunteer. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on, but if you see something and you feel a burden for it, maybe you could just, you know, you know, you know. And I know you're afraid if you ever do something, you're stuck, right? Well, I hope if enough people start getting in this, that it won't be that way. We'll be, we'll be almost like fighting over stuff. Like, let me do it. I got it. No, I got it. Now, I remember what Brother Stan told me, that they had something there in, in Panama. Uh, and I don't remember which church it was, if it was at Chitre, where we sent a mission team one time. But um, so that here was the deal. That here was the saying that they had. If you see something that needs to be done around here, and you can actually do it in five minutes or less, es toyo. Es toyo. That means it's yours. And so, I got it, I got it. This is a good thing, is it not? I mean, you see something that needs to be done, and you don't have to go find me and say, hey, the trash can up by the door is full and running over. You know, I might just say. I mean, you know, you want to inform me just so we know, right? Because I may not, I may be oblivious to it, but I may just say, you know where the trash bags are? Yeah? Can you lift those up and tie them? And are you able to carry that to the dumpster and put the other bag in there? Yeah? You ever done that before? Yeah? It's toyo. I don't know. But if we all have that attitude, then, you know, we're, we're, we're staying on top of things. We're watching things. It's not one or two people just seeing that things need to be Why do we want to, hey, why do we want to take care of some stuff like that? I mean, not, I'm, I'm just talking about simple maintenance issues like that. It's like, well, what are we paying the preacher for, right? Right? Jesse, where are you? What are we? <laughs> I throw a lot of stuff at Jesse these days, don't I? He loves it. <laughs> don't use this against me. But if it's something that I need to do, yeah, I do need to hear that. But one reason why is, is people who've never been to church, and, and they come here the first time, they're going to notice stuff that we take for granted. And if it's sloppy and, and, not, and we not stay on top of things, that's going to be a turn off. It will be. So even stuff like that. But I'm talking about meeting needs in people's lives as well. People in the community that I don't know, but you come across them. And, um, you know, we need to rally together to do something to show the love of Jesus Christ. We need to look for ways to volunteer and, and, and to, to serve. Take the initiative, right? The initiative. Are you looking for ways to serve in the name of Jesus in, where you work? In, in the neighborhood you live in? Or down the dirt road that you live in, on, whatever? Are you looking for it? Invite friends and neighbors to church. You know what? I got that 80% respond. Surveys show, maybe not just one invite, but that if you invite people who know you and care about you, whether they're your neighbors or your friends or your relatives even, if you invite them, uh, actually surveys show that friends and neighbors respond better than actual close relatives. But anyway, but if you invite them, 
nearly 80% at some point will, will show up. They'll, they'll, they'll come. I'll tell you this, almost 100% of those that are never invited show up. So you have somebody you have a burden on, and I, and I hope that, that we do things right enough around here that, that, that you're, you're, you're excited about inviting friends and neighbors to come worship with us. And to, even if they don't know God, it'd be like the one guy I mentioned last week that left. He said, you know, something was different. He said, I, I don't know what it was. It's not that like my preaching was that good. In fact, he actually said that. <laughs> it's not that your preaching was that good or everything, but you guys, he said, I, I just, I felt God. That's it. People don't know God get close enough in proximity to those who are on fire for God and they start to catch something. I want to know more about that. And they get a thirst for the gospel. That's what we're here for. That's it. Um, share Jesus through your life, through normal, everyday stuff that's going on. Be watching for opportunities to share the gospel. And I want to help do a better job of making sure that everyone is equipped so that if anyone asks you about heaven, about eternity, you don't have to get involved in all kinds of weird arguments that you can tell them the simple good news of how God loved them, how we're all sinners, how that Christ died on the cross for their sins and not only paid for their sins but rose again to give them new life and that through faith in his name, through him. That means what he did through Jesus, not ourselves, that through Christ we can receive salvation, that we're saved from our sins. Our names are written in heaven. We not only have heaven as our home, but we have a new life and a new power and a new purpose right here, right now, all of our days, that we all need to be equipped so that we can just share that with people, share our testimony with people of how Jesus has done that to us what my life was like before Christ, how I came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then what my life is like after. People need to hear that. He wants to use all of us. And you just think about all of us going out after this service and all of us spreading out his community and all of us telling others and showing others and doing nice things. Well, why did you do that? Why did you help your neighbor who's always griping at you? Why did you do something nice for him? Well, something different about you. It might be if they ever... Ask, you say, well, even though you're kind of contrary and cause a lot of problems around here, God loves you, and he said he wants you to know it, and he told me to do it because he loves you, and he commanded me to love you. I didn't want to, but he said, no, you got to, right? Amen. 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 We are the rest of the story. This isn't about you. It's not about our church. It's about Jesus. And here's something that's going to come back up later, too, because it's really been tearing my heart up. We're looking at all those that went before us that have served him faithfully and handed the gospel off to us. We've grown up in a place where the gospel's readily available, and we're trying to make sure every place on earth has that opportunity as we spread the gospel, right? But we've grown up here, and those, you think about people, and, and I can think in my family, maybe you didn't grow up in a family that knew the Lord, but other people, may, you, know, you, you received the gospel. You heard the good news. You understood it. I want us to keep handing that off to the next generation and the next generation. It could be. We know that we're closer to the end than ever before. I, I know that we want to work like there's hundreds of years left, but it very well is possible. We could be running anchor. I used to be forced to run track whenever I was in school. You know, if you played basketball and all that, you had to run track. 
But in those days, I was fairly fast. And, um, and on several of our relays, especially the mile relay, everybody ran a quarter mile, the 800 relay, and uh, on all, I ran anchor. And you want that to be the strongest leg. You want to be, if you're a little bit behind, that anchor is going to not drop the baton. That anchor is going to finish strong. You know, and it hit me. Wow. We could be running anchor. We could be the ones taking that baton and going to the finish line. That means we need to finish stronger than any other generation ever has. Right? And even if it's not us. We want to make sure we get that handoff to that next generation as we go on to glory and see them carry it on until Christ comes back. Mm. All right, number four. That's number three, give. Number four, and this is equally powerful. Number four is, 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 is number three was, was serve. Number four is give, give. And that is honoring God with your offering. Now, this expectation can cause Tension, like, you know, I know y'all wanting something from me. No, yeah, God wants something from you. Guess what he wants? Not your money. He wants you. He wants your heart. In fact, if you're not giving him your heart, he don't want anything else until you give that. Um, this, shouldn't, this should be powerful to us because we got to realize God owns everything. and God gives me every beat of my heart, every second I live. And God himself set the example as he gave himself. Right? Go read Philippians 2. They have the same attitude that Christ had. Who, you know, he, he humbled himself. He, he lowered himself. He took on the form of a servant. In Psalm 107, the psalmist says in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. It, that whole psalm begins with a, a command about, about this, about giving. Did you see that? Give what? Give, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. We give thanks to God. Why? Because he's faithful, because he's loving, because he's good. And a faithful church is also a giving church. Because God is good to us, because God has blessed us, because he loves us, we give in response to that. We give thanks, we give praise, we give of ourselves. And a church that is faithful is constantly giving. We're giving thanks to God and we're giving of everything that he's put within our, our stewardship. One of the most powerful aspects of God's nature is God's love. In fact, in 1 John 4, 8, it tells us that God is love. And one of the most powerful ways that God demonstrates his love is by how? Giving. I mean, you, you might have heard this verse before. John three sixteen. For God so loved the whole world everybody. What did he do? That he gave. His only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He gave. That's one of the responses of love. One of the reasons we don't give is maybe we don't have the love for God in us that we should have. We're not experiencing his love. It's the greatest motivation in giving. One of the main reasons we worship him is his love and, and the love of God just flowing and overflowing out of us. And so the goal is that you allow God to love you into giving to him. I want to tell you, guilt is a horrible motivator. And I don't want to ever use guilt to get the job done. I want to motivate us to respond to the love of God. Now, every gift matters to God. Do you know that? You say, well, I don't have much. Said, no problem. 
God knows. In Mark 12, 41, and uh, in, in verse 41, there was a poor widow, and she dropped a couple of copper coins in the tre- treasury at the temple. Those were described in the text as they were actually the smallest coins in circulation. It's like the smallest one we have now would be like a penny in our, in our situation here. It'd be like two pennies uh, that, of, of, for us. And Jesus said, because all the rich people were coming and making a big show about what they gave, and then Jesus caught something. He pointed out to the disciples, teaching moment, right? So you see that little widow dropped in those two little, I mean, it's less than anybody else probably. She gave more than anybody. Because you know what? I know something about her that no one else knows. God always knows that that's all she had. Those are the only coins she possessed. And she didn't just give one. She gave a boat. So every gift matters to God. Every gift. He looks at the heart. And I'm convinced one reason why God has blessed us as much as he has, because of all of our waywardness and disobedience, but yet God has used our church. I think one reason is because of the way people give and the way you as a church body give. I think God has blessed because it hasn't been all about us. So then the question is, what's the, um, what's the goal with your money? And I put quotes there because none of it's really ours, is it? See, when you realize it's not a matter of, of, of giving, it's a matter of ownership. When you finally understand that I don't own any of it, it's all his. Not just 10% his, it's 100% his. And even if I worship with a tithe, and if I give 10%, that 90%, he says, you, you, you keep the 90%, that's still his too. And I'm a manager and a steward of that, an administrator of that. It's his resources. So all of the abilities, all the gifts, all the talents, all the resources, all the money, all the, everything I have really is his, and I need to be a faithful manager of those things. That's what it is. So what's your goal with your money your time, your resources. Is it, is it just to have a higher standard of living? Is, there's nothing wrong with that, but is that all it is? Or is it a higher standard of giving of yourself and of your resources? It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor as long as, you, as generosity is your goal. Generosity. Uh, Jesus is king over everything. He owns everything, so we understand that. And that's what sacrifice is all about. Sacrificial giving is an antidote to greed. And I have to watch out about greed because greed's sneaky. Did you know that? I mean, this is sin. So now, if you're a thief, we can kind of point out, well, you're sin, right? <laughs> and if you're out there taking the Lord's name in vain and all that, well, we can kind of, we hear that. We can point out. If you're an adulterer, if you're a drunk, if you're a drug addict, you know, we kind of can see that. Greed's a little bit harder to, 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 you know what I'm saying? In fact, most people who have it don't think they have it. Absolutely do not think. And they'll, they'll kind of give a little bit here and there. And it looks like, boy, they may be super generous, but God knows the heart. It could be greed. So when I learn to give and sacrifice, it's an antidote to greed in my life because I'm realizing all this stuff. And every one of these points could be a whole sermon. So I'm trying to hurry. Okay? <laughs> this is a lot. But um, so um, there... there it's an antidote. It helps, it helps keep my focus on him and his ownership of all things. So there's two types of greed. There's the desire for more stuff. We just want more stuff, more stuff, so we can consume it for our own, own greediness. And, then the, and, and there's nothing wrong with having stuff. It's, does your stuff have you, right? And then there's a desire. Another greed is for more security. Maybe you don't want a lot of stuff. You just want a big pile somewhere so you feel safe, you feel secure. There's nothing wrong with planning and having security. Don't think that's wrong. But if that becomes your goal and the whole motive of why you are, then you're missing something, right? 
I mean, God wants, to have, wants you to have these things, but he wants you to have him first. So here's what I find out. When, uh, and, you know, it, it, it can blind us. Is greed and material can blind me. And I don't even know I have it when I have it. Because you can be rich or you can be poor. You can not have much at all. And you can be the greediest person here. No amens. Okay. First Timothy 6.10. For the love of money, Paul said, is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, but the love of money. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many pangs. You're going to hurt yourself. Wander away from the faith. Think about that. So when you give sacrificially, you know what it does is it changes you spiritually. When you give sacrificially, it changes you spiritually. If, if, so if what you're giving doesn't cause you to change something about your lifestyle, if what God moves on me to give doesn't cause me to have to, well, I need to cut out this little thing or I don't need to, you know, uh, stop by uh, you know the coffee shop quite as much this week because so God put on my heart to give it. If it doesn't change some about your lifestyle, then it's really not sacrificial. Now, now, not all giving has to be sacrificial. It's okay to give out of your abundance, but sometimes God wants us to make sacrifices because it's those sacrifices that really work on our heart and change our life. When I have to give up something and change something, are you following that? When I have to do that to be able to give as God is directing me, it changes me and is an act of worship before God. This is an area as we belong together. Sacrificial giving is how the body unites for the cause of Christ. This level of giving that we're talking about here, it brings you closer to God and is an investment in eternity. The last thing we're going to talk about today is the fifth, is the fifth basic of belonging, and that's pray. Now, this could be a whole series right here. One of our sessions in our breakouts yesterday and Friday was on prayer and fasting, and it was very powerful. John Weaver led that. John Weaver uh, was one of our, our fellow ministry leaders and missionaries, and he was the last American out of Afghanistan after 9-11. If any of you have read his book, we, we have it in the library unless somebody's took it home with them, um, but it's quite a story. And um, talk about a man of prayer, but was very challenged. So this is something that I feel is a big area that God is challenging us in because uh, communication is a key part of any relationship, right? And prayer is involving this, prioritizing God's will through prayer. We're never going to prioritize God's will if we're not praying. So God speaks to us it, communication is important. God speaks to us through his word and through his spirit. We speak to him through prayer. It involves communicating with him and listening to him even. Prayer's not dis difficult in concept, but it is a bit difficult in practice. We all believe in it really strong. It's just we don't practice it very strongly. Like, or at least, you know, I start talking about prayer. I, I'm getting under conviction right now. See, um, and I'm glad the Holy Spirit doesn't give me a pass on it because it's like, you know, I know, God knows, and, and need more. And I hope I'm always hungry for more and more and more no matter how much, right? If we're not careful, prayer will mainly only happen during times of crisis or convenience, when it's convenient to pray or when we're in a crisis. And it's often overlooked as an expectation of a church member. But if you connect to this church, that's one of the expectations that we have of each other as we belong is to pray is to pray for each other and pray for God's direction and just pray in worship, pray in thanksgiving and pray all of these ways. This may be an area where we lack one of the most, or the most. And, and here's another thing. Most of our prayer requests 
if you notice, are about physical needs. And that's okay. I mean, to pray for those things. We should, right? We enjoy praying for them. But God also wants to direct our prayers beyond the medical problems of people in our church and community. You know, as has been said, we spend more time praying about keeping saved people out of heaven than lost people out of hell. <laughs> you know? We want them to, but, 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 but the thing about it is, is, is all of these things to be prayed about, but we need to get deeper in our prayers and in the spiritual battle that goes on. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, I'm just going to give this to you and you follow up and meditate on it later. Um, so that's the whole idea of this. I'm going to preach some and then you take it and go with it, okay? And, and take it out of here. Don't just leave it here. If you just leave it here, then we're wasting our time. So in Luke 11, 1, says that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John, John the Baptist taught his disciples. And then after that, the Lord Jesus taught them a model or a pattern. Now, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but I prefer to call it the model prayer because it wasn't actually a prayer that he prayed. It was a model for prayer. And if you look at it, um, you find this. Um, when um, he, he, he gave them the Lord's Prayer, he says, this, first it starts off on, focused on God. Prayer is focused on God, not us. Amen? Did you hear that one say it again? Prayer has God as its focus. Not us. And it starts off that way. Our Father. And right there with our Father, he shows us we're part of a body and part of a group because he taught us to pray not my Father, but our Father. We're part. It was not just all about us, right? Uh, it focuses on God's person. It starts with his focus on him, not us. And then the next thing is still not us. It's God's program. Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Focused on God. Then... May your what? Kingdom come. May your what? Will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's program, his kingdom, his will. And then the next thing finally gets down to a little bit about us. Give us today our daily bread, all of our daily needs. I'm recognizing in my prayer that everything that I need, even the oxygen I breathe, is a gift from God. He's the one that ultimately provides for it. I may be working. I may be farming. I may be sowing you know, and reaping and, and, and putting up hay and all this stuff, but God's the one who gives me the ability to do it. So the daily bread actually does come from him, God's provision. And then finally, I, sometimes I try to start off with this because my sin, I'm under conviction. Lord, forgive me. And that's okay. He gets that. But then finally, God's pardon. Um, Forgive us our debts, our sin debt, our sin. And then he reminds us that, oh, by the way, you need to remember forgive others. It's the first part of that that has a, a little add-on that he talks about later. If you're not willing to forgive others, don't, don't come to God expecting him to forgive you. And then God's protection is he leads us. So you find that all there in those next verses, and this is a good pattern for prayer. So you take that and you study it. So as Jesus teaches us about prayer, I mean, it's all about his name, his kingdom, his will. Prayer's not about prayer. Sometimes we just have prayer for prayer's sake. Prayer's not about prayer. Prayer's always about seeking God, knowing God. It's focused on God. Cell phone doesn't exist for itself, does it? It doesn't exist for it. It's a tool. It's a tool for communication, for connectivity. Prayer is a way we connect and relate to God. And when you pray, you give God the glory. Every prayer is an opportunity to witness the glory of God. As we ask, as we seek, as we knock, we worship, we praise in prayer, we thank God through prayer, we're, we intercede for one another through prayer, we see God work and heal people through prayer, we fight spiritual battles and bind the enemy through prayer, God moves us, God directs us, God instructs us through prayer. All of these things happen. 
And so here we go. We've got these things now. If we're going to be a part of a body that he's calling upon us to, to worship, to say yes to him, to grow, to make disciples who make disciples, to serve, reaching out beyond ourselves, to give so that we're able to be a part of what he's doing uh, everywhere. And as we pray and prioritize his will, let's ask him right now to help us to do that. Father.